Hello and welcome to Performance Marketing Unlocked. This is the second episode of our three-part series for our Cannes versus Machine coverage of Cannes Lions Festival of Creativity. And Robin and I are sat here on the big red steps outside the palais. The famous red step. Famous indeed. Yeah, they've had stars walking on these steps. And here we are sat on them with our podcast equipment strewn everywhere. Yeah, I think we're sullying the, sullying the area, but it's fine. We're, it's fine. I just wanted to feel famous for five minutes. <laughs> and um, Lucy, uh, talking of awards, you have been inside the Palais at a press conference for the big Canline Creative Data Awards, haven't you? Yes, yes, that was this morning. It was the Canline Creative Data, Creative B2B and Direct. And I was really impressed. That was definitely my best bit of the day, was seeing the winner of the Creative Data, which was a fantastic piece of work for Stella Artois and it used the most intelligent but interesting and also quite um it was like light-hearted use of AI and combined it with one of the oldest forms of creativity which was fine art and using AI AR you could scan these pieces of art and find out the probability that the drink in the art was in fact a Stella. It sounds fascinating, Lucy. I know you're a big fan of art, so I'm sure that I one thought you were going to say really big fan of Stella. No, big fan of Stella. <laughs> Stella. I'm more of a fan of Stella. You're more of a fan of art. That's how it goes. But it was. I thought it was a really interesting use. The judges said they had to question a lot of the entrance uses of AI because is the idea AI or is there actually an idea behind it? Was the questions that they were posing towards the entrance because obviously AI has been a pretty hot topic here at Cam. Yes, it has, Lucy. Um, I've been talking. Everyone's been talking about AI, and one of the interesting observations I've heard today is that everyone's talking big about generative AI on Monday, but it's actually becoming people are getting a bit snowblind to it, and they actually want to know everything's AI powered nowadays. Actually, what are you doing with it? What are the smart ways you're using it? Whether that is um, creativity or performance-led data, you know, using a keynote keyword analysis, that kind of thing. And so people yeah, almost almost afraid to say the words AI on day, day three in CanLine. I'm finding that interesting. Well, yeah, I think it's almost assumed that everything, everyone does use AI now. That's no, that's no news anymore. So it's what are you doing with it? What is the purpose and what are you trying to achieve? So, Robin, what was your best bet over the last two days? Um, it's really hard to think of a best bet. I've had, I've had quite a lot of different experiences. But to condense it down more into themes, um, I was, I've been enjoying going out in the yachts, Lucy. But you'll find that really surprising, I'm sure. I'm incredibly uh, surprised. Who likes but, spending time on a yacht? But pe for people unfamiliar with Can Lion, um, the harbour fills up with a lot of yachts um, where ad techs are, are, are paying a million pounds per yacht, I found out today, um, to often take up residency in that harbour. And it looks like basically our inboxes full of like double verify, IAS, and the, but just a far more opulent version of a, you know, a luxury yacht rather than an email or press release. Um, but what I found from them was that, that, that those, those yachts along the harbour uh, there's double the amount there were last year, which really shows rude health for the industry. And a few of them like Paul Coggins from Adlaudio was saying that what's amazing there is he's seeing just brands come to him on his yacht. Um, they're, they're posing problems, and he's and and that's what they they basically brands are look, using that that yacht harbour area to um, to see what problems can what, what solutions can be provided by the various ad tech companies, and it really feels like this is a performance marketing version of Canline this year. You're completely right. I was speaking to Andy Jones, head of UK sales 
at Samsung Ads, and this is the first time they've got a yacht. And he said the same thing: brands are coming to them, and they're not, they're not having to find meetings. Meetings are coming to them, which just shows you the the health of the performance marketing industry as well as a. A million pounds well spent. A million pounds yeah. well spent. There's, there's a sentence I wouldn't think I'd have to say. <laughs> a million pounds well spent because it also got them a slot on the podcast. Are you saying uh, it's worth a million pounds, our podcast? Being a, being a guest on a podcast. I don't like the sense of doubt you have in this podcast, Robin. Of course it is. Anyway, here is my interview with Andy Jones, head of UK sales at Samsung Ads, talking about CTV. Welcome to Performance Marketing Unlocked, the podcast from PMW. Today I am sat with Andy Jones at Samsung Ads and we are sat very comfortably in a bedroom on Samsung Ads yacht at the moment, uh, which is a beautiful sailing lot actually, standing out amongst all the white kind of glamorous motor yachts in the port as well. But how, how are you doing, Andy, first off? I'm really good. It's great to be here. I listened to enough podcasts, and this is my first one. So, yeah, oh, it's looking the first, forward to first time on the other side. Yeah, exactly right. I hope your can experience is going well so far. I wanted to hop back to the article that you wrote in January of this year, um, and you highlighted in your article it was about the misconceptions of CTV advertising, and you highlighted in your article, as Bill Gates predicted, content is king, but now we can see that data is the kingdom. So. I wanted to ask you, how does CTV capitalize on the relationship between creativity and data? So my job is to talk to clients and agencies a lot. Um, and a big part of what we're having to do is is education. And it's education around TV usage. So when people upgrade their TVs, and it's a smart connected TV with lots of apps on the home screen, it's just as easy for a viewer to open, say, the Netflix app or ITV. It's it's seamless. That's the job that we are as a manufacturer to make that a really seamless experience. And as a result of that, viewing habits are changing. Um, and we've got a very unique perspective on how our TVs are being used because we are we've got a glass level view. So we're able to see the content and understand the content they're watching, the games they're playing, the ads that they've seen. So we've now got a really rich, deterministic data set at scale that we are, that's fueling our conversations with agencies and advertisers. Now, your question around data and creativity, where I would push back a little bit there hasn't been a huge change in the creative approach. So maybe my job needs to be educating the actual creative agencies. To, but we're quite often uh, using the same 30 second TV spot uh, and extending the reach of a campaign in a different environment. Um, but counter to that, we've also got sort of new formats that are coming into TV. So. The, the native home screen of a smart TV, there are various ad placements there. But I think the real creativity is coming with data. So targeting different audiences, targeting audiences that we know watch a certain program, targeting audiences that play a certain game, that use a certain app, that have seen a certain ad. There is a huge amount of creativity. And, and where I think it's a really positive environment is that we're sat on a lot of insights and data, but executing 
using that data is going to be very different depending on the advertiser. So the, the strength of the relationship we have with an advertiser is really, really important to us because they're challenging us in ways that we wouldn't necessarily understand unless we really know what they're they're trying to do. So that, that article with the, the slightly cheesy quote uh, <laughs> is around yeah, what are the misconceptions in connected TV? Uh, there's a lot of misunderstanding, but there are also misconceptions. So a couple just to highlight was there's no quality in connected TV. I think it's important to address that that doesn't really apply to subscription services. You know, you go to the Netflix or Amazons or Apples where you play a subscription. There is fantastic quality of content. We, we all know that. But the, the misconception is that fast or AVOD, you know, advertiser funded video on demand, there is no real you know, quality in that. And so the pushback that I have said in that article is it's time to to, to address that misconception because we have now, as a manufacturer, we've got our own fast TV service called Samsung TV Plus. There are about 140, more than 140 channels in there. But we've now struck deals and licensee agreements in place with you know, Fremantle, all three media, Viacom. And that's bringing really quality content, live news channels, uh, documentary and features like live sport. So I think it is now time to kind of address that misconception because what was true a couple of years ago doesn't really hold true. And, a, and another misconception is there's no scale. Well, we've got eight million, over 8 million TVs just in the UK with that fast service. So there is, we're seeing significant growth year on year, but we're seeing that accelerate even more because the quality of content's there and also the might of Samsung is now beginning to advertise a lot more. So there is huge benefits of being the TV because you can control, yeah, you can influence viewing behaviors. So if you turn the TV on and you're immediately faced with a, an ad uh, promoting the Jamie Oliver channel in TV Plus, yeah, they're, they're more likely to click on that than, uh, than another. So. And kind of going into the misconceptions a little bit more then, why do you think they exist in the first place? Well, I think that they weren't misconceptions at all three, four years ago. So I think they're absolutely right to push back. If there wasn't quality uh, content, if there wasn't good data, if there wasn't any measurement, you're absolutely right to push back because why would you stop? Why would you redistribute investment into channels that are proven to be working and that is a brand safe environment? You wouldn't change. And I, I don't think they should have done. But I think now is the time that the education needs to step up. They're saying it is a like for like environment. As linear is declining, you know, services like fast are increasing. So it's less of a risk, but, but crucially, you can measure it now, um, which you couldn't have done a couple of years ago. So. So yeah, I, I, I'm an ex-TV buyer and I completely understand why investment wasn't following eyeballs if the product wasn't equal. So you know, we've worked really hard to make sure that we're talking you know, a TV language. Um, so it's all well and good talking about 8 million devices, but who's watching the TV? Now we know. So we can start delivering audiences that are TV-like, so APC1s or CTDEs or 1634s. It's that... TV narrative, which a couple of years ago 
we were talking devices. So I think the criticism actually was fair. The comparison between, you know, linear TV and CTV, do you think consumers are expecting a CTV to look like linear TV? Are they expecting similarities? Is that what does better? Or are they um, now getting used to a different kind of format? Because I know, for instance, people go to all sorts of different platforms for CTV. You'll, you know, you'll go from Netflix to YouTube or, you know, Samsung TV. What is it that consumers are looking for? in CTV and what works? Well, first of all, consumers won't look for anything in CTV. They turn their TV on and they want the content that they want to watch when they want to watch it. Uh, I mean, we, we, we get stuck in acronym hell, I think, a little bit. So the viewer quite rightly will not say, oh, I fancy a bit of SVOD tonight or linear tonight. They, th- that's not the way they operate. They will see a bit of content they watch or they've heard a bit of content that they want to watch or they've been recommended content and that they just want to access it as easily as possible. Whether or not it's fast or CTV or, or linear, it's we've got to switch away from that because it's just TV. An analogy I always talk about is, is like with mobile. I pick up my mobile phone. I don't pick up my smartphone, but I've had a smartphone for the last 10 years, I think. I turn my TV on. I don't turn my smart TV on. I would not buy a TV now that didn't have a great UI, a great user interface, or access to apps that I want. It is just the new TV, um, but we're still fumbling around with a smart TV or connected TV versus an old dumb TV. It's not just a Samsung thing. Every manufacturer that is producing TVs now are only producing smart TVs. So that C in CTV will get dropped soon. Um, and kind of goes back to the question, viewers aren't categorizing it in any way at all. What is their expectation? They just want entertainment. They are increasingly wanting free because you know the cost of living. So are we still seeing seven or eight subscriptions per device or per household? No, that's definitely declining, but that's also you know, fueling the growth of free. Um, and, and the reason why uh, fast services, free ad-supported streaming TV. The reason why that's uh, yeah growing as well as it is is because it is like-for-like. It is a linear-style environment, so it is scheduled content, um, but it's just being streamed over an IP address rather than a, a satellite or a cable. In a lot of our Performance Marketing Unlocked podcasts, we always ask our guests what we think is overrated and underrated in the industry um and i know you you overrate the acronyms that marketers and everyone are using a bod b bod etc so what do you think is underrated and should be getting more attention than it's currently getting i would definitely put acronyms in the overrated and i think what's underrated and this comes back to one of my first answers is a lot of what i'm trying to do is education of what the capabilities are and this is immediately uh, throwing in a new acronym. <laughs> uh, ACR is a automatic content recognition, um, and it's a a new data set for TV. So, what is ACR? Everyone's heard of Shazam. It's a miracle. You match you match a bit of audio to a song. With the connected TV environment we're effectively able to match the picture to the content. So every half a second, the image on the screen is fired off into a server and it's matched to known content. So that will help us understand what linear programs they're watching, what ads they've seen, what games they're playing and what apps 
they're they're utilizing now why is this underrated well a lot of people don't know about it that's fine that's part of what we're trying to do and that's it's why we're having the podcast exactly <laughs> so thank you for inviting me so and and crucially it's brands understanding how they can maximize it and what i love most is having those conversations with agents and advertisers and they're going wow so you can do this 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 and have you thought about that everything is 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 open to explore uh, one of the main reasons advertisers use us is they're kind of testing this new environment it's the same on screen so it's not terribly new but it's a different way of of buying and accessing audiences so one of the safest ways is just giving them reassurance that it's a cost effective way of reaching new audiences um, so we can deterministically say that these TVs these audiences have already seen your ad so we'll ignore them and we'll only focus on targeting audiences that we know have not seen your linear ad um, and then we'll give them the report at the back end saying for this investment you reached an additional x percent of your audience it's you know there is there's cost yeah, analysis within every marketing department so if you can deliver a true roi on you know reaching more audiences that you're trying to reach proving the effectiveness of that then it's a it's a great way to introduce them into this non-linear world uh, but still using the same language that they're used to, still using the same creative that they're, they're using. It's just you know, extending the reach. And that, that's the most basic way that we're, we're working with, with advertisers, which is you know, proving fruitful. But it comes back to understanding what ACR is. It's not a panel. It's data coming from all of our TVs that are uh, opted in. Um, and it's providing great opportunity and you know, creative ways of reaching audiences. Well... Thank you very much for coming on the Performance Marketing Unlocked podcast today. Thank you very much, Andy. Thank you so much. And next up, we have Kantar's Executive Vice President of Creative and Media Solutions, Steve Silvers. Steve Silvers, welcome to the Performance Marketing Unlocked podcast. Thank you very much for being here. So here we are, bright and early on a Tuesday morning, and... As I said, EVP of Creative and Media Solutions, you're an AI expert as well. And so because of that, I would like to ask, in a year where AI has been talked about more than ever, uh, data and technology are becoming far more intrinsic with creativity, what is modern creativity in 2023? So I think think a lot of people are understandably nervous uh, when you have a sea change like we've seen uh, over the last few months. And I, I think it's important for everyone to kind of look back and see that we've had plenty of sea changes before and most of the dire predictions that have been said in the past have never actually come to be. And every time we've had one of these technological revolutions, whether it was you know the windmill or the automobile, or the computer, or the internet, or now AI, it, it's always enabled us as humans to do things that we weren't able to do before. And it's never really been the disaster that we have feared. So I think from that perspective, uh, it, it's actually exciting times. Uh, I think that the the people who, who lean in to the technology uh, are going to, to be successful with it. I mean, not, not everybody, but your chances are a lot higher. I think it also is very important to realize everyone's talking about generative AI and they, they're talk, 
they're treating it as if it's something that it really isn't. It, it's it's a machine learning algorithm that just predicts the next word that would come in a sense. That's what ChatGPT does. And so um, what I'm seeing just anecdotally is that people are using these tools to, to be creative. And in fact, it's more of an enabling tool right now than it is a replacement for, you know, genuine human creativity. And so I don't really expect that to change in the short to medium term, like, you know, maybe 50 years from now, it'll be different. But I think in the short to medium term, this is just a tool. And what it does, and I think it's very interesting, is it democratizes a lot of um, a lot of things for people. So, for example, generative AI can already write scripts and code. And so you see it kind of democratizing the ability to build software um, in a way that, you know, for years it's been really, really hard. And more the more creative and less technical you were as an organization, the more we've struggled to to get the developers to write code. But now if generative AI can write code for you, you can get from an idea to execution very quickly. Um, and that actually enables you to be more creative. And then similarly, look at the generative AI stuff that Adobe's been doing and putting it in their creative suite. And now maybe you were not that good with Photoshop or that great as a drawer or painter or whatever, but now you can tell something like that or mid journey you can tell it what you want your vision is, and then your vision becomes a reality. And so I think that it is actually going to democratize and make more, cre more creative creativity available to people quicker. So is all that, all the results of that going to be good? No, <laughs> you know, not, not every idea is a good idea, right? And not every idea is in the right place in the right time. We know a lot of uh, a lot of success is predicated on those things, but I do think we'll see more. We'll see more interesting stuff. And so I think that um, as creatives, if we lean in a little bit and we don't fight it, I think we can actually do a lot more cooler stuff than we could have before and, and, and quicker. So what's your kind of feeling then? Because it almost seems like pretty unfazed by the whole, um, you know, advent of generative AI and what it could potentially do I mean do you see it as posing any great threats to marketing or is it something that we're just having to wait and see because the effects of it aren't really tangible yet so I I don't see any huge threats to marketing right now as long as we remember what these products are and what they do mm -hmm. and so um, these these are machine learning models and they are trained with data and we have to be very careful about the data we're using to train the models. And that's not a new thing. We've had this problem for years. There's been um, a lot of accusations about bias in models that have been trained. Uh, there's a lot of concern about um, copyright and the rights of the creator in, uh, in items that are now being put into these training models. Uh, and, and there's a lot of concern, but let's figure it out. IP concerns have existed before generative AI. Um, is it easier to, to do something at scale now than it was a year and a half ago? Sure, but the problem's not a new problem. It's just one that we have to uh, address and we haven't done a good job of addressing, but I do think that we will. 
Um, and we're already seeing a concerted effort to remove bias in general. So I think that's great. The thing I'm most concerned about from a marketing standpoint is when we've done some testing with generative AI to try to mimic the responses of consumers. So since as at Cantar we are, a, we do talk to consumers. That's a big part of our business. We found that the the results of generative AI are not really representative of the population at large. And in fact, they end up being very, very middle of the road average answers. And so I don't think that you can use that type of generative AI to build a data set to then go build another model on top of it at this point. I think that's, uh, I think that's a little risky. I think we still need to talk to consumers and understand their reactions to these items. We need to figure out what they want and that, that changes relatively quickly. So you know, we need to keep updating the data in the models with with up-to-date data fresh from consumers. As long as we do that, I think we're I think we're good. I think if we use stale data, data that um, isn't connected to consumers, then we use that to try to decide how we're going to market to consumers. I think that um, is going to end up falling flat. Well, let's end on a little bit of a fun note. And I'd like to hear, if you have one, what is your favorite bad ad that would never win a Can Lion Award, but but might perform well. So this is funny because we're talking about AI. Um, but a couple years ago, uh, Burger King did a set of ads that were completely generated by AI. And it was before we had the existing generative AI now. So the generative AI ads we make now are way better than the ones <laughs> that Burger King made a couple of years ago, but oh my God, they were hilarious. And, and they, they, they definitely successfully made me want to eat Burger King, but they would never, they'd never win an award. They, they barely made sense. Um, it's like this thing about like chicken being a pillow for your head or something weird like that. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I, I love those ads and uh, you can still find them on the internet. So no, I remember the ones, cause I think with a lot of the, uh, especially with generative AI and a lot of fun that advertisers are having with their ads. Sometimes I think ads are directed at marketers <laughs> and marketers only because oh this is good. they're, they're going to understand this. Like I think was it um in I think it was Latin America, McDonald's recently used generative AI to write its own ad. I think it asked it what is most iconic burger in the world and it's mm -hmm. like, oh mcdonald's mcdonald's blah, 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 and gave a description and then um burger king put a placement right next to it and said what is the biggest burger in the world and you know and had the generative ai response for that and you're just kind of teasing these with marketers really you know it's something that will probably go pretty big on linkedin and everyone having a fun field day with that but that that rivalry in particular has been going for a while and um, you know, for years, Burger King was trolling McDonald's and I guess they're doing it again. So mm -hmm. I, I think I think that's fun for us. I don't know. I don't know if your average consumer enjoys that as much as we do. But mm. I mean, the I love I love that stuff because it's it's yeah. fun brand rivalries, but also brand collaborations are things that are massively up. I think I prefer rivalries because I think collaborations, I mean, they're, they're, you know, to a penny these days, everyone's making some kind of weird collaboration, whether it's. I think Heinz and Absolute Vodka did one, but the rivalries are great. I think Aldi and the Colin the Caterpillar cake was a was a pretty good one. But 
but but isn't that a collaboration anyway? Like, is it's effectively a collaboration? It's one that creates things that are less controlled, but often more fun than ones that would be, you know, controlled. So I think that you know the the overall experience that you just described for a consumer of seeing the two ads side by side is a collaboration, maybe an unintentional one for McDonald's, but (laughs) (laughs) a collaboration and the the effect of both of them together is more than either of them individually. So I think Mm -hmm. that, um, I think, you know, as a creative, I think we should embrace all of that stuff. As um, someone in the marketing industry, what do you think McDonald's response would be when they see something like that? Is it like, oh, not again, just leave us alone? Or do you think, like you said, it's a collaboration? They're like, oh, you know, this is going to do well for us as well. I I don't know that I can answer that question. (laughs) I don't don't know that many people who work at McDonald's, so the Mm -hmm. personalities, I think, are really important. Um, I I suspect that some people that think it's hilarious, even though they're maybe not supposed to. I I, I don't know. Um, But I think that... I'm hoping that it's an inspiration for more creativity on both sides, Mm. you know, and uh, it's great to see, it's great to see the innovation coming out of that industry just in general and all the experimentation they've been doing with alternative meats and whatnot, and then have them bring the creativity to the marketing and advertising world is also awesome. So the more of that, I think the better. And I think, you know, we all see so many ads now. So something that cuts through Mm. is, I mean, you, you have to love that. Mm. I mean, I think just to end on one thing that I learned from a session yesterday from the Amazon port, which is that young generations, Gen Z, they hate ads more than any other generation, but they love brands more than any other generation, which I think is an interesting kind of dynamic to think about. You know, they're not liking, obviously, seeing advertising, but they like consuming brands and their content as a father of a 15 year old i would say yes (laughs) yes to those things both of my sons hate advertising but they love brands and it is very interesting and they talk to their friends about brands all the time but you know they don't see ads that much because so much of what we consume now is ad free and so when they see them they're very they're not used to that actually. So it's actually the response is very different than I think that our responses are because we're so used to being kind of inundated with ads and then we sort of filter them out. But every time my son see an ad, because it's rare, we don't watch a lot of linear, it's like brand new. Well, Steve, thank you very much for coming on the Performance Marketing Unlocked podcast and hope you have a good day at Cannes. Likewise. Thank you very much for having me. And that is the second episode of our three-part series covering Cannes Lions Festival of Creativity. Thank you very much for listening. And do check out performancemarketingworld.com every day this week where we keep updating you with all the best Cannes Lion 2023 content, including my daily blog, short one-minute videos with, with people from all different parts of the industry and all the award winners and all our podcasts. Thank you very much and goodbye. Goodbye.